Operation Tango Romeo is supported by Third Eye Insights in partnership with Miller's Lawyers. Third Eye Insights is a marketing agency specializing in creating content that connects with humans. They provide top-level logo and branding, website design, SEM and SEO, social media design and management, as well as print and promotional material. You can find them at thirdeyeinsights.ca. Miller's Lawyers is a top-level law firm led by my friend and fellow Army veteran, Philip Miller. Miller's Lawyers serves all of Canada, with offices in Calgary, London, and Toronto. If you can't afford to lose, choose Miller's Lawyers. Visit them at millerslaw.com. That's M-I-L-L-A-R-S law.com. Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Good morning and hello, everybody. We are streaming live on Facebook, LinkedIn, and other places. And today on the show, I have my brother from another mother on the show, Rob Lalonde. Hey, man. How you doing, Mark? Doing good, brother. Now, I uh, put a hard stop on you when we were chatting off air because I want to pick up where uh, <laughs> where that story was beginning. Continue with that story. Uh, what were we talking about? What happened on your uh, front lawn, you wacky guy? Oh, uh, back before I was diagnosed with PTSD, I was struggling quite a bit. Didn't know what was wrong. Thought there was no way in the world I have PTSD. No, come on. Uh, so when the, all the police ended up in the, my front yard, I was just having a bad day. I was angry. I wasn't hurting anybody. I wasn't damn, you know, going crazy. But I had the music pretty loud and just sort of sitting there rocking out. My wife was concerned about me so she just called veterans affairs to say hey my husband's struggling can we, can we get some help uh veterans affairs decided to call my local police department tell him i was suicidal and sent a cop to my house so i was just sitting on my couch looking out the window and i could see one cop talking to my wife who's having a cigarette in the truck then veterans affairs calls me and i answer and they ask me if i'm okay of course i i'm losing it now i tell them to go to hell hang up and I'm about to go outside to tell that officer, get off my property. I'm not suicidal, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to hurt anybody. I'm not going to do anything. Well, what I didn't know was there was about eight more, nine more spread out all over the front yard that I couldn't see from the angle where I was on. So when I opened the door to tell him, you know, get off my effing property, blah, 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 slam, I then realized that that's not going to work. If you behave that way, they're definitely coming to get you. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm trying to think how to get out of this because – I don't want to go there. I don't want to go with these guys. So I opened the door again and didn't just state it. I'm not suicidal. I'm not hurting anybody. It's my property. Leave. And they said, we just need to talk. I said, fine, you can talk, but I'm amped up of course. Right. Yeah. So the two of them, two of them step forward. I get upset and I say, Hey, you said talk. Any of you try to go hands on, we're going to have a problem. They don't like that. They tend to get a little upset when you say things like that. So (laughs) they got amped up. There's a bit of back and forth verbal, and then one nice officer who uh, I'm not sure if he was a vet. He, he might have been. He never said, uh, said, can I come in and talk to you? And I said, sure. 
we sat down, had a civil conversation. He said, look, these are your choices. You either, you either have to go or I can have the lady from uh, a lot of towns have those mental health facilities. Ours is called search. Okay. So as long as she said, if you talk to her, it's all good. She came over, uh, like a lot of those people who have zero experience with veterans and trying to talk to veterans, they start with that picture yourself on a beach with the palm tree blowing in the breeze. <laughs> right. So right there I was said, okay, thank you for talking to me. We're done. You can go. And it was over. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for myself, I've been through a few programs, lots of therapy, haven't met one single therapist yet I've, I've cared for. I've got much, much better help and results sitting in groups with other veterans, talking to other veterans, reaching out to another vet than any pill therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist has ever given me. And why, Rob? What do you think the secret sauce is there? Um, well, I think you can open up easier. It's easier for us to open up to a brother, Right to someone we've known 30 years or we've been in those horrible places with. Yeah. Whereas this person have never experienced any of it and their book, their little book they read tells them, this is how you deal with it. <laughs> well, in the real world, that's a bunch of garbage. Well, it, right? you know what? Um, that Chinese proverb keeps popping up in my head. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And in the beginning, right? Um, the palm tree waving in the wind. I mean, there is efficacy there, Rob. I mean, there, there I, like it, it is, but you got to be ready for that. You know, you, yeah, you, you got to start at one, not at 10 and, yeah, and you got to work your way up to 10. So, uh, yeah, think, the, you know, I think more for me, it wasn't so much. I had to be ready for that. It's just that type of thing was not the thing for me to help me. Yeah. Right. Like I don't, I don't picture my magical favorite spot with a fishing rod and palm trees and sun and breeze. That just didn't work for me. Right. Yeah. So when I, when I said, when I first got diagnosed, I was going to uh, the Parkwood hospital, which is the OSI. That's where our OSI clinic is. And every Friday they had a group. So we'd all go into the group. And of course there was a nurse and a psychologist. They had, they sit with you to help you get through your, your group. We had, we had the best time ever. We all, that's, we would laugh, we would joke, you know, and it's funny the whole time they're talking about, uh, and this, this is not great. Don't, you know, don't have a drink, don't smoke any weed or whatever. And then right at the end of the meeting, we'd all run over to the bar across the street, smoke a joint on the deck and have a beer, right? Well, and it was the best for all of us. Uh, marijuana really made a difference for you, didn't it? Oh, it made a huge difference. Yeah. Because when I was first diagnosed, I was 185 pounds physically. Yeah. I mean, I had some issues because I had, I had, a brain, I had, had brain surgery and that, but once they, and I was on Oxycontin, I did have a small issue with that for about five years. But all the antipsychotics, antidepressants, all that stuff, they're, they're just horrible drugs. Now, again, this is my belief, okay, on these drugs. When they were done with me, I weighed 370 pounds. I was walking with a cane, walking my way to death. 370. Jesus, my Rob. Highest. And you're my size. You're like 5'9". I'm not even 5'9". I'm lucky if I'm 5'8". So, yeah, I went up to 370, couldn't walk, couldn't bathe, couldn't cut my toenails. Wife had to help dress me, do buttons. Jesus. It was, it was horrendous. So I was on my deck one day just actually having a cigarette, and I just turned, simple turn around, hit some ice, fell like a big bag of friggin' potatoes. And I got up all angry. I'd fallen, walked into the bathroom to check myself out in the mirror. Dude, I walked in and just started crying. I looked at, from who I was, always being an athlete in shape, to this big, you know, I got gynecomastia on one side, so I got a left titty, and I got a big jowl under my neck, and I just bawled, bro, and I just broke down. I said, Robbie, you're killing yourself. Well, not so much me, but you're going to die. Mm-hmm. You better do something. 
So uh, I'd already used cannabis at that time, but not quite medically properly or the amounts or counting your oils and things like that, your edibles. So once I moved into that, I was able to beat the Oxycontin, which was one of the biggest hurdles. It, it, I mean, it destroyed my teeth. It, it, uh, it, it, it's probably the worst drug out there. It should never even put on the market. It's end of life medication. Mm-hmm. So after beating the Oxycontin, then I was able to move around a little more. I wasn't drug dependent where I would, it got so bad for me. If I didn't have my pill every 12 hours, I start to withdraw. And the Oxycontin, that was for pain because of the brain surgery, right? Yeah, I had brain surgeries. My brain actually wasn't in my skull. It was outside my skull crushing my spinal column. It's something called Arno Chiari malformation. So what I think happened was when we were overseas the first time in Croatia, I was on leave, drunk, being an idiot, and I fell off a stool, knocked myself clean, cold out, they carried me back to the hotel. It was, I was probably massive concussion, no treatment, nothing done about it at all. So what happened was with the condition called arbitrary malformation, that blow, the cerebellum part of my brain actually popped out of my skull and was crushing my spinal cord because the opening is too big there. So by that happening, it also caused the cernix to grow in my spine, did nerve damage. So they had to go in, open the back of my head up, take my brain, put it back into my skull and put a mesh screen to stop it from falling out. Christ almighty, that's got to be a one in 10 million thing to happen. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's like I said, you're born with that. And uh, I actually found out later on, there was a few things. I have neurofibromatosis, Arnold Carey malformation. And with the Arnold Carey, with that brain disorder, when I was telling the doctors going through this, they said, well, what, you, what have you done in your life? Like, what do you do for a living? I said, I grew up like a rather Canadian kid, playing hockey, boxing, soccer. I was in the Army, blah, blah, blah. He goes, you were in the military. I said, yes. He goes, there's, he didn't believe me. He said, with your condition, there's no way you should own the play. All those sports are going to the military. I said, I'm glad nobody told me. <laughs> well, not only were you in the military, for Christ's sake, you're in the 3rd Battalion. And, right, right. Uh, you know, when we were there, Rob, we won the award for the most physically fit unit in Canada. And yet somehow you kept up. I mean, that's spectacular. Yeah, I mean, if you, and I say this to everybody openly, and I'm not, a, not afraid to say it at all. The time we were there in the 3rd Battalion, I'm not saying me. I wasn't a super soldier. I did my job whatever that group of men I would have put up against any other group of men anywhere on the planet. Oh yeah. Yeah, There's no way around it easily. I mean, what an incredible time that that place was then. And we got to be part of that, right? Well, it was a hardcore bunch and uh, too hardcore for me, as you'll probably recall. I re- I didn't fit in there. It wasn't until I got to the first battalion that uh, I'm like, oh, okay, uh, normal people. <laughs> this is better. Yeah. This is a better fit. Um, but um, yeah, for various reasons, uh, the third battalion was tough on me, and it took a while for me to figure it all out and figure out the job and you know how how I'm supposed to fit in with this group of monkeys. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, but eventually I got there at, uh, and I kept up. So that's pretty good yeah. considering I had heart surgery when I was 29. Right, buddy. Jeez. <laughs> what was that for? Uh, bad valve. So, uh, okay. we're, when I was in the third, I mean, it's amazing that, uh, you lived through it. It's also amazing. I lived through it because my heart was working at 50% capacity back then. I just didn't know it. Holy smoke. So, I mean, we're pretty much Olympic level athletes, uh, in the third at that time, especially under Kenward and my That's heart. That's when it changed, man. Yeah. And my heart was working at half. 
half capacity. And I kept up anyway. It should have killed me, but it didn't. Nothing like doing the old gorge run by battalion. (laughs) (laughs) company to the front. (laughs) Uh, Now, I'm going to tell you what I remember of the gorge run, and then you tell me if I'm right or from my head's up my ass. Sure. What I remember is a 10-mile sprint. (laughs) And at the the end of that sprint was going up the Lamson Street uh, Hill, which is like the never-ending hill. Um, And that's, that's at the end of it. Is that how you remember it? You're exactly correct. I believe the distance was just under 10K. And if you remember when we did it by the battalion, Ken would always call the company to the front as we're running. So the whole entire company had to pull out past the battalion to get back in the front. Yeah. So being a company, we started in the front. So by the time we got to that last big hill, that's when a company would get called back to the front because we'd just been passed during the run by the whole battalion. Yeah. So Ken, you hear a company to the front. We're looking up that hill going, wait a minute. <laughs> That's yeah, at that the end time, of the right? and the end of the ten k sprint. I mean, it was just brutal. We did that one once a week, and on top, yeah. on top, like every Thursday or whatever it was, we do the freaking gorge run. And uh, I mean, beautiful run, but it wasn't oh. exactly. Uh, we weren't singing songs while we were running. <laughs> no, we don't sing songs when we run. We, no. If you can sing songs, you're not running fast enough. Yeah, no, I I love Victoria, but it was the opposite for me. Uh, I love Victoria so much, that group of guys, the, the, the city, the area. Uh, being a young guy then, it was a, I like to have a drink, chase some girls around. So Vic was perfect <laughs> for me back then. Yeah. And I, I didn't care for Calgary. I wasn't a, I guess I'm not a cowboy, not a prairie guy. Yeah. I really didn't care for Calgary that much. Enjoyed going up to Banff and those places, but we could do that from the island too, right? Well, Victoria is wrecked now. Uh, my wife and I went there uh, this summer or last summer and spent, Oh, I don't know, 10 days there, whatever it was. And it ain't the Vic that we remember. It's destroyed. It's That's what I've heard. It's destroyed. It uh, doesn't have any of that same flavor, the same, like it, that vibrance that it had, you know, that yeah. fun, that fun, safe party atmosphere. It's all gone. And um, wow. it's, it's not as clean as it was. There's not as much greenery. Um, places like Market Square are pretty dead now, and it just doesn't have any of that jump, that uh, that flavor that it once did, that we enjoyed. Um, it's just not there. It's um, <laughs> it's a hurting place right now, like a lot of these places have turned into over over the years. Yeah, just overrun wow. with um, like when we were there, there was a lot of homelessness, but nothing, absolutely nothing, like it is no. now. Um, it's, it's brutal, man. It is, it's a crying shame. That goes along with a lot of things that the media and people just lie and don't know what they're talking about. Look, like they press this racism thing right now and the homeless thing right now. So I'm, I'm supposed to believe grew up in Halifax in a hood Hmm. that racism is worse now than it was in the seventies and eighties. That's what I'm supposed to believe. Uh, You know, I, every now and then I watch a movie from the eighties from uh, when we were kids and and I think Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> it was a lot worse than I thought, you know. Um, but we we've clearly evolved. All you got to do is watch any of the movies from the seventies and eighties, and we've clearly evolved to some degree. You know, we got a yeah, ways to obviously. go. Obviously, like clearly, we have a ways to go. But we have made some strides. You know, it's a better, it's a better, more equitable world today than it was 30 years ago. No way around it. I just think 
more people don't care about race than they say are. Like, I, they're, they're making race into the oath in a bigger issue than it is. I realize there's issues, okay? Sure, there but is. But they say, all these, there there's this amount of people who are racist all of a sudden. It's, it's just completely false and untrue, right? If you voted for Trump or you voted for a conservative, I don't care what country, now you're right wing, you're a racist, and you're all this, this craziness, right? I don't care. Most people, I'm only bet over 90% of the people don't care. You know what it is, Rob? And I learned this in Croatia, actually. Um, you were in Delta. I was in a company, uh, cause I went over early, right? Uh, to, to the, I was, first. The, I was in a company. I was in a company with you, bro. Oh, were you? I, I yeah. thought, I thought you were in Delta. Oh, what you, you talking 94? Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh, 94. No. Uh, you're in Delta. No, in 94. I wasn't. Yeah. I, I wasn't with you in 94. Oh, uh, you, you missed that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, anyway, I was there in 94 and, um, I missed the one with you that that the third went over with. I missed Roto one. I, I, so I where, ended up going. Where were you for that? I, my hand was buggered. I had surgery on my hand. Oh, okay. So I stayed back, and uh, which is why I re-upped for my second contract because I'm like, man, everybody I know has got a tour. I've got to stay in until I get a tour. <laughs> so, um, so that's what I did. So I went over right with the, I went over with the first, and. Um, but it was there that I realized because the first couple, three months were, oh my God, they were brutal. Uh, we're building the sandbag hotels and uh, thousand sandbags a day. And it seemed like my platoon did it for the entire battalion. <laughs> you know, oh. So 30 guys uh, filling sandbags for 2000 people. And um, that's how it seemed at the time anyway. But we filled a lot of sandbags and we're doing... Um, sometimes 36 hour shifts like it was ridiculous there's no reason it was, for it but it was you guys that had the exposure right that's right yeah we're expo- we we're exposed to the um contaminated sand and uh all the guys with the cancer and people people have no idea bro i no. just helped another i just helped but the, 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 the point of it though rob was um that what i learned there is that when we were working hard like grueling holy shit working hard nobody complained when it was truly tough nobody was complaining didn't have the energy to complain all we were trying to do is survive right but then uh after three or uh, four months and all the bunkers are built and all the super hard work is done and everybody's used to the place we're used to the bombs used to the bullets um used to the the sites that we see in a place like that. Um, Then the complaining started. The complaining started when it got easy. Then the bitching started. And what I learned was that is always the way. The better you have it, the more you complain. When it is super tough, you just deal with it and you muscle through. You don't have time to complain. And no. that's our society right now. Um, people don't know how soft they are. They have no idea because they don't know what hard is. And so when you don't know what hard is, um, every story has a protagonist and an antagonist. When you can't find an antagonist, you'll cook one up. Yep. You'll find an enemy somewhere and because you want to be the hero of your story. Everybody yep. does, right? Everybody wants yep. to be the hero of the story. So if you can't find an enemy... You can't be a hero, so you will invent an enemy. And yep. and, and that's where we are, are, are right now. But that is not the focus of my show, goddammit. <laughs> so, 
So what was the moment, Rob, that you realized, holy fuck, I do have PTSD or, or I suspect I might have an issue. I'm going to reach out for help. What was that holy shit moment for you? Um, I was working in a factory making paintballs, running an encapsulated machine. And the place was having a hard time, so all I got is temps in there. And I'm basically doing every job, and I'm losing it every day. And I ended up grabbing a huge box of paintballs. Not out of person. I never hurt anybody. I biffed it into a wall in front of everybody. Just anger. And I just happened to have read that morning before I started shift, because my ritual was get the paper, get a coffee, go in an hour early, read the paper, have my coffee, get ready to go to work. And there was just an article about the Parkwood Hospital and the OSI clinic. So I come home, tell my wife. Uh, what had happened at work and what was going on. She goes, well, just call them. So I called up and within not too long, I had an appointment to go in and get, see if I, you know, what was going on. Um, within a couple of weeks, of course, I got a diagnosis, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. Uh, it took me quite a while to even accept that, that I had that, denied it for quite a long time. So what year, uh, what year was this? Oh, um... Let me see. 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, so what year What year would that have been then? Uh, what's it now? 2022. So 2005? 2006? Uh, well, 2000, 2008, probably. Okay, so 2008. And you were in a, in a war in 1992. Yeah. And that's kind of the average. So that was um, 16 years after the war. Yeah. Right. I'm just writing that down. And and that is so common, Rob, that it, it can be 16 years. It was 23 years for me. But it can, yeah. it can be that length of time before there's enough contrast where you have enough experience in civilian life to realize, oh, I'm the odd duck. Yeah. They're not all the oh, really? bunch of assholes. <clears throat> I'm the asshole. <laughs> what a surprise right but it can take in your case 16 years in my case 23 years before you realize they're not the assholes that don't get it i'm the asshole that doesn't get it fuck (laughs) and and if i and if i think back all the signs were there because uh i was in trouble staying in one job i was homeless for three months living in the woods uh the drinking uh i never really got into drugs i mean i dogs caught prescribed for that but i never really became a drug guy but the booze and and then being homeless and losing jobs and all that kind of stuff right and it wasn't because i couldn't do the job or do the work so because like you said uh, we're the asshole so people only put up with that for so long right i I think i still have a hard, hard time separating even though it's been this long the military way to the civilian way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was ahead of maintenance at a Walmart store for a while. All the managers were terrified of me. Nobody would come near me. <laughs> I just ran around. And, I just ran around. I just, they're not the toughest people. Yeah. Right? I just ran, I just ran around and did my job. It was actually, besides the fact you were in a little blue vest, I was one of the highest paid employees and it wasn't a bad job being a maintenance guy. Yeah. So, and you're, and, and as a veteran, you're expecting everybody else to do the goddamn job on time and do it right. Yeah, we, right. So I, I, I screamed at managers. Like, what the hell is your, your problem, buddy? Oh yeah, bro. They, they was the, the was the knife hand one. coming out? Were you jacking people up with the knife hand, Rob? I may have shown one or two. But yeah, the store they wanted to have a new head of health and safety. <clears throat> so, so and within a Walmart, they all vote on it. 
who they want for their health and safety. Well, every single person in the store voted for me except for one. She voted for herself because she was trying to get the job against me. Yeah. <laughs> so within three months, I had found so many problems that had to be addressed that a manager, a new manager comes in the office one day during our meeting. He's like, hey, guys, we're going to have a new head of health and safety vote. I go, sir, I'm the head of health and safety. It's for a year. It's only been three months. Well, you know, Rob, you're a really busy guy in the store. We, this is taking too much of your time. Because so you're I, finding I too many problems. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. How long did that job last? Um, that lasted uh, probably about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then my seizures got bad for a while, so I had to stop working. And then uh, I finally got the help. So, there's a lot of guys who got their uh, diagnosis, and that were all helped out, right? And in the beginning, they just said, "Yeah, you have this. <laughs> if you need some pills, or if you need this, you have this." What What are the seizures yeah, from, Rob? Uh, they don't know. Undiagnosed. So they don't know if it's con- if it's uh, related to your brain falling out of your head. Right. It, it, I mean, it could be. And I've got a cyst in my spinal cord that blocks my spinal cord fluid from flowing properly. Okay. So that constant that cu- you'll see me moving a lot here. So I apologize. Oh no. So I have no. a hard time. Sit- I have a hard time sitting still. I constantly have pain signals sent to my brain when they shouldn't send my sent- be sent there. So and I digestive there's bowel issues. My gallbladder's gone. I have pancreatitis. I had a heart attack in May. I'm that's, not sure what that's all from, but I know a lot of guys have internal issues, digestive, stomach, gallbladder, pancreas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, sometimes they just chalk it up as IBS, but it's I don't know what's right. going on there. But um, and, and that's one of the things that keeps us from reaching out for help or, or wreck it because we don't want to talk about stuff like that. You know, I mean, right. who wants to admit, yeah, I pooped my pants today. You know, who wants to admit that? Um, yeah. But uh, that has happened to me more times. And I don't know if it's PTSD because the anxiety that I didn't even know that I had. I don't know yeah. if it's uh, the red sand that we were exposed to on Roto 4. Um, I don't know. You know, all I know is uh, I'm not like other people when it comes to that. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, I, I need access to a facility because if I don't have that, uh, it, it's not good. And that's why I carry around the shit your pants emergency bag everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. And who wants to talk about that? You know, nobody wants to hear about it. We don't want to talk about it, but it happens. And yeah. um, it, it, from what I understand, the uh, when trauma happens to you it's stored inside your uh body right yeah and if you haven't processed it correctly and i'm not even sure because i I still have a problem here and there um depending on whatever the i hate the word trigger but that's what it is um then all of a sudden it's like oh (laughs) there we go and um there's no rhyme or reason to it you never know when it's going to hit but if i understand it correctly it's uh what wrecks your guts is that unresolved trauma that's stored within your body and how that works. I don't freaking know, but it does. Oh, and, yeah. um, and it, it, it's a <laughs> terrible thing to have in your life. You know, it's a horribly embarrassing thing, but it's true. And it happens to so many of us. So many. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, pretty okay with talking about things openly. I generally don't like I can't hear with you because hopefully this will help somebody else. Maybe if they're, if they're listening. Yeah. I, 
I still don't generally talk to anybody else about my issues. Uh, there's a lot of our brothers and sisters I do help out and talk to and help them with their stuff. And that makes me feel the best, bro, honestly, is when I'm helping someone else get through theirs. I still find it extremely difficult to reach out to anybody about any of my issues. Uh, I don't like talking about them at all. Um, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Well, it's conversations like what we're having right now. Like, it's not easy. I've been doing that. This is episode 181, brother. And it's still yeah. not easy, right? Uh, like I let her all hang out on this show, but um, it's not easy. But I do it because I understand when somebody else hears uh, speaking yeah. about the unspeakable <laughs> and you just speak it, that's what kills the stigma. And the more you kill the stigma, the easier it is for people to go, all right, and reach out for help. You know, because and, and, because living with this stuff just fucking sucks so bad. Yeah, and you're you're just that kind of man who likes to help. You want to make a difference. You want to help other people, Mark. And I think that's a thing that a lot of us had. Uh, it's still what I want to do the most right now. It's my passion is to give back to veterans, do something any way I can help them to live a better life, and that's what makes me feel the best. Pre-show, uh, it had occurred to me, Rob, it, it's always guys like yourself that have been through just unbelievable stuff. Like your brain fell out of your fucking head. <laughs> you know, you got brain surgery. You were, uh, uh, how heavy? 370? 370, yeah. Sweet mother of God. You know, and um, like, I mean, that is some serious, serious stuff to endure, to go through in your life. And it's guys like you that I always see standing up and trying to help other people. Tommy Anderson, who wasn't able to join us today, uh, as we both know, uh, he, he lost his legs on my tour. And uh, first week of the tour, too, first week or two, and driving his Iltis and got his legs shredded off by a landmine strike. And, it's, and, and yet, what's he do all day, every day? He's trying to help other veterans. You know, the, exactly. the guy that, that lost an eye and, uh, and, and, uh, both his legs and, um, yeah. you know, all mangled and, uh, up and he's running around he, just trying to help other people. He already raised, was it 50,000 to put, get a dog down there in Newfoundland. And then he flew up here this summer to help me with my event to raise money to get a dog, service dog for a vet. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Tommy's been doing it for a long time. Uh, is you know, I maybe not in the bigger level, but I'm definitely trying to get it there. I've got some things in the works with getting dogs for vets. I'll be working with Tommy, Mike Root, who you know as well. Yeah, Mike's uh, a great be guy. Helping out. Oh, awesome guy. He's been nonstop. How long going around helping everybody? You know years. what? And, and there's no ego too. like Mike Root. Like if you nope. see, if you, if you see him with his gongs on, you know, uh, I mean, dude's been around. <laughs> yes. He's got a rack of medals on him. And, uh, I think he was a sergeant when he got out. But, um, Sergeant, yeah. uh, I mean, the guy is a legendary soldier, but he, oh, you, you'd never know it. He doesn't no. act, he, he doesn't uh, talk up a show, you know, uh, um, very, very humble guy. And, and here's yeah. another guy who does nothing like he has suffered. Fuck. He has suffered. And instead of, um, curling into a ball and he's doing everything, his therapy is helping other people. And I'm Absolutely. not shy about, like, when people give me a, a pat on the back about this show, I say, well, thank you. I appreciate that, and I'm glad that it's helped you. But understand, I'm doing this for myself, too. 
I mean, yes, I want to help people and it's great, but I, me helping others, um, which I hope the show does, um, that is how I get through the day. This is my sense Mm -hmm. of purpose. So, and there's a thousand, there's piles of us that are doing something. It doesn't matter what you're doing. They're doing something. You're raising money for, for the service dogs. Now, do you have a service dog yourself? I don't have a service dog. I have a uh, golden retriever who I got as a pup. Uh, he alerts to my seizures before they happen. He tries really? to lift me off the floor. He's tried to drag me in the house by my collar. He saved me from drowning in the bathtub. Uh, and he's not a service dog at all, but he works as a seizure dog, PTSD dog, anxiety. And he just, from being with me every day, learned. Just so does I'm very it. lucky. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, would I ever get a service dog? Uh, I think I need to have a dog in my life. I think I'd really be struggling if I didn't. But there's too many other guys right now in a be- worse place position than I am that I want to get a dog to first, right? Like, I understand that, but – and I'm like you, bro. I don't care about pats on the back. I don't need my name out there. Too, too, I don't need any of that garbage. All I want to do is get dogs, put them in our brother's hands so they can have a better life, be happier, not sad. You know, we're going to stop losing them. Rob, and that's all I want to do, bro. I um, I get emotional. <laughs> you know, here's a guy. You just told me that that dog has literally saved you from drowning in a fucking bathtub, and yet yeah. you say somebody else deserves it more than I do. I don't want to take a service yeah. dog away from somebody that needs it more than me. God bless yeah. you, brother. Like, but be a little bit kinder to yourself, would you? You know, because know, right? anybody listening to this is like, are you fucking kidding? Like, if anybody needs a service dog, <laughs> like, it's our, you know, the dog who isn't trained has already saved your life at least once, saved your, yeah. <laughs> saved you from fucking drowning, you know, and it's yeah, still it's- like, hey, somebody needs it more than me, man. So, but there's so much of that in our community, you know, like, I'd like right. to accept that help. That's great, but somebody needs it more than me. So, and that's one of the, biggest barriers to us accepting that help yeah i think too we don't like to be a bother to people that's I don't right like to ask people for help or bother somebody <laughs> or make their life difficult i don't like to cause anybody any kind of crap right yeah i'm not that guy if i can do it myself <laughs> or get it all done or handled i'm not gonna bother you but if someone comes to me i'm grabbing my gear i'm coming to help you yeah i know it's weird bro but i'm okay with it like it doesn't bother me i'm, I'm happy to come drop whatever I mean, where, where I have my trailer, there's older ladies who got scared in the evening and they're alone. They all got my number. Anybody in that place knows they can mess with me any time of day and I'm coming running. Well, if you drown in sure a fucking, okay, right? if you drown in a bathtub, Rob, you're not going to be around to help anybody. Right. So it's the old yeah. uh, oxygen mask in an airplane scenario, you know, that everybody knows. You put it on yourself yeah. first and then you hand it next. Because if you don't, because if you're dead in a bathtub, you know, you're not helping nobody, Rob. No. Like maybe oh, stick yeah, around was, for a while, eh? I, I hope so. I hope I do, bro. But no, that day I was just, I was in the tub, doors closed, my dog's out here. My wife was downstairs doing laundry. I had a seizure in the tub. Somehow my dog knew, went to the bathroom door, and he's trying to eat. He's trying to get through. I had to put a new door on. He's trying to physically get through the door. <laughs> That's a good dog. Retriever, bro. So, and he's going absolutely nuts. So my wife's downstairs hearing this, wondering what the heck. She runs upstairs. He's always, always halfway through the door with his face. <laughs> she opened the door, ran in, pulled me out. Uh, because she wasn't strong enough, she said she dropped me. When she dropped me, my stomach hit the rim of the tub. She said I spit up a bunch of water, shook for a bit, then woke up. So that she was, was calling. That was the big version of you then. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. yeah, I'm only 180 now. 
Yeah, you're back down to normal. That's what I'm at. Yeah. Yeah, I went from uh, drooling from the pills, couldn't carry a conversation, not off like a heroin addict. You, 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 you've seen it, bro. You know all this junk. 370 pounds walking with a cane to 180 pounds. I trained two martial arts, ran in federal election, do fundraisers. It's always a way back, bro. Doctors are, you're going to be like that forever. Oh, and I believe them for a few years. They were wrong. <laughs> to, I uh, who I was. To, to any of our brothers and sisters that are tuning into this, Rob, and they haven't reached out for help yet, what do you have to say to them? Reach out. Absolutely reach out. Find that person you trust, another military brother, sister, whatever it is, if you're afraid of doctors or, or civilians, but there's lots of us out here. If anybody's ever struggling, you can always call me. I don't care who you are. I don't care what time of day or night it is. Don't do anything silly. Don't do anything stupid. We can't lose any more brothers and sisters, not one more. Okay, just reach out and talk to somebody. There's lots of us here that will talk talk to each other and talk to somebody to help them. Because every time we see this, bro, honestly, doesn't it hurt you? Every time we lose one to that, right? Yeah. Doesn't matter if we knew him. And let's let's say the word suicide. Suicide, right? You know, let's say every the word. Every time I see one, dude, every time I see one, I cry. Yeah. Why couldn't we stop that? Why? Why? This is Canada. We have, we, you know, so we have to take care of each other. You know that. You can't rely on the government. It is what it is. And if enough people keep jumping in and do one little part, if everybody did one little part, we're going to have it all covered, right? So I encourage anybody, tell everyone they can call you if you're in a good place. Reach out. Try to help out. How many do you think uh, that we served with, Rob? How many do you think have taken their own life? I don't know what that number is. But I keep seeing uh, seeing stuff on Facebook. Every other week I see somebody else that's pulled the plug. Yeah, it's not tracked in Canada. That's a problem too, right? We don't know what the rates are in Canada because the government doesn't care and doesn't track it. It's not like the states where they have the stats and they come out and tell us 22 a day. Do, any, know that. do, do, any, do any names come to mind? Uh, they do, but I, I don't know if I want to say on air, bro. I just... No, no, that's fine. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd be uncomfortable. Well, I know and we it's, lost a few to other things, but... And it's ones that wouldn't be considered uh, suicide, like um, uh, Mitch, right? Mitch Calder. Mitch Calder. Yeah. So, uh, and if you've heard something different, let me know. But I mean, it was uh, just after the t- the tours. You know, he did a couple of tours, and um, as we know, oh, he Mitch, was he, he was quite Mitch the. Didn't al- go. Pardon? He didn't. He, didn't he, he, he didn't go. Over. He didn't go at all. No, he was he was having some issues with the sauce. Yeah, and then he uh, was an alcoholic. He, right. So we all we all went over with the first tour, and then when we came back. Uh, Mitch was still there. He was rear party. And the last I saw him, uh, it was the morning. We were all just standing around because we were, didn't, didn't have to go to work. We had nothing to do. But he was rear party. And he come down the hallway in civvies, intoxicated. And we're going, Mitch, you're, they're forming up. And he ran out and formed up in civvies, drunk as hell, bro. Yeah. And then uh, he disappeared. And then we all heard what happened in Edmonton. He froze to death in the street there. Yeah. He uh, passed out in a snowbank, drunk, and died. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, but that's unresolved trauma. The, the like anybody who's an addict in anything, like somebody, um, it's always, oh, you made some poor life choices. Nobody chooses to be an addict. No. Nobody chooses to be addicted. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Mitch and I, I mean, it still bothers me. Like I'm looking forward to uh, to when my final breath is, so I can see guys yeah. like Mitch. You know, and go, hey, man. You know, I wish I, 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 I wish you were around. 
I went through basic and battle school with Mitch. Yeah. He was one of the funniest people oh, I ever met. So funny. You know, he was he, hilarious. remember when he was making fun of uh, Make a Sandwich? Uh, Major yeah. Makalowicz, uh, Major Make yeah. a Sandwich. And, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it, to his face. And uh, Makalowicz was laughing his ass off because he was such yeah. a great impression. It was so good. You know, he, he, and you're right. he, he did them. He did them so well, and he did it in battle school. So we're all yeah. in the platoon room, in the lecture room, and all the NCOs are in the back window looking at us. No one knows. And Mitch just got, got there with the broom handle. He's doing every NCO on the course. He <laughs> them all. <laughs> then the doors all kick in, and, of course, oh, hell breaks loose. Yeah. Well, uh, Calder, and I caught some shit from it uh, from some of the boys, but really there was nothing else I could do. I was trying to help him out one night. We're up um, at the Carlton Club. So uh, for our listeners, it's the, the army bar at the top of the hill from, uh, from the base that we're at. And, um, and I knew he was on curfew because of drinking incidents. So um, I'm like, Mitch, it's just about 11 o'clock, man. I'll walk you, I'll walk you down the hill. And, but it was drunk asshole, Mitch, <laughs> you know, not sober, good guy, bitch. It was drunk asshole, Mitch. And, uh, and, and he's like, not going to go. I'm like, dude, come on, let me help you out here. Help me help you. Let's get yeah. you down. Like if you don't make it to that gate and sign in at the MP shack, uh, dude, you're fucked. Like you're yeah. already on strike three. So, if, but he wasn't having it. And then uh, no. it, it ended up, uh, he put his fists up and popped me right in the nose. I gave him the first one for free. And I said, Mitch, don't do that, man. Like, uh, you're not yourself. It's okay. You know, you got the first one in, but uh, you're not getting another one. Now, I'm just trying to help you here. And, but he wasn't having it. He wanted to go, so I knocked him out. <laughs> and, oh, jeez, eh? But um, everybody was mad at me for breaking his nose, but I was trying to get him down the hill, and I'm not going to let him punch me twice. <laughs> right? <laughs> so. Bro, all kinds of things that happened for me with other guys, a little scraps, all forgiven, all over. Oh, of all course, over. of course. You know what I mean? I've yeah. been that drunken meatball <laughs> where I'm not friggin' listening Big Mike Egenheisen or one of the boys, you know, I'm being a meatball. They're trying to help me and save me from getting in more trouble. Give me a little pop, sort me out for a bit, right? Get me home yeah. or something. Part of it, right? Yeah, it's there just part of the book. game. Can you imagine a book like those kind of stories? Stories from the shacks, the oh, funny. Especially in the third. And that's something that uh, people wouldn't believe the stories from the third. <laughs> you know, like just the wildest bunch of orangutans. And... um uh, nothing can get away with in today's world. Nothing. No. 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 We'd all be in jail. Strippers at the junior ranks on a Friday. Yeah, on a regular basis. Yeah. Till they, till we couldn't yeah. find any that would show up anymore. Because <laughs> so we're just yeah, too a, wild. Here's a funny story about that uh, stripper in the junior ranks thing. Oh no! So during that during that time, I'm dating a stripper. Okay, she's lived in Vancouver. She come to the island, did the tour of all the clubs and stuff like that. And, of course, back then there wasn't all that lap dancing crazy stuff you see in the bars today. So I'm dating this stripper. And all I said to her was, when you're in town, Monty's, wherever, I'm not coming. You do your thing. I'm not going to be in the bar. Cool. I said, but look, I don't care you do this. You did it before I met you. If anybody from the base comes to you and asks you to come do a private show, you say no. Okay. So there we are Friday afternoon. I'm sitting beside Adam Brett. And he knew her, too. And he goes, it would be funny if Holly walked in. I go, no, no, bro. She won't do that. I, I told her not to come here. All of a sudden, the whole place erupts 
And there comes my girlfriend strutting in the strip in front of the battalion. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Adam Brett, a uh, good guy. I, uh, Great guy. I still feel bad about the nickname I gave him. That I don't know how oh, long it's stuck for. Are you talking uh, suit and cartoon show? Well, no, um, uh, it was RV92, and Adam Brett is a very hairy guy. You yes. know, yeah, like he would shave. Oh, I remember. <laughs> and, and I called him Chia Brett. Yeah. Chia, 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 and it stuck. It stuck for and a then, while. I uh, hope he'll forgive me for that. <laughs> oh, he will, bro. He jokes, too. He's a good dude, man. Good man. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. Good guy. He ended up, uh, he was only with us for a few years in the third. Then he, he was driving somewhere. Wasn't he Gage, Gagetown for a I while? Know. I don't I think know. he had uh, some sort of tasking for a few years. How uh, many years sure. were you in in total? Uh, he 97 and a, seven and a half. Seven and a half. So you got, um, where were you posted I, when you I, got out? I, was, I left Calgary before they went to Edmonton. Whatever yeah. that time, maybe seven and a bit. Was, I think it was eight years when it started the move. Yeah. To Edmonton, I believe. So, yeah. 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 I did the four years in Vic and then two and a bit in Calgary. Well, brother, thank you for your continued service to the veteran community. It is uh, really good to connect with you. And I think you, that conversations, open and honest conversations like this, uh, that's what helps our brothers and sisters. You know, they, uh, they hear the real stuff and they realize, yeah, yeah you know, uh, I, I got some pretty wild stories too. And those wild stories are usually related to uh, stuff that you got to get sorted out. Otherwise yeah. you're this, um, this life, I don't know if we ever fully transition into civilian life. You know, it's like the old saying, you can take uh, the person out of the army, but you can't take the army out of the person. It's totally true. I, I don't think you ever do. No, I, I don't, think you, don't ever think, do. think you ever do. And and that's okay. Like that's good. Nor nor should sure. you because it's not all bad. It's you know, there's a lot of no. good stuff there, and yeah. uh, a lot of memories I wouldn't trade for anything. But um, absolutely, I wouldn't trade trade any of it. Rob, just sort of, uh, just, go ahead. Sorry, just yeah. so everyone, everyone knows, uh, if you want, just keep an eye out. We're doing another big fundraiser again this summer to get another dog for a fellow veteran. Uh, if you want to keep an eye out for that, we'll be doing that again. Uh, last year we were able to raise twenty grand in one day. Wow. Got a veteran of service dog. And it actually started as uh, I was going to donate some money. So I run all the charity events in our, where I have my trailer, where I spend my summers, your sick kids, your heart and stroke, all that type of thing. So I said, look, I can throw on a 50-50, a barbecue. Uh, I'll get a dunk tank, and I'll send you a couple thousand bucks. So it started like that, and it blew up to the dog company come in, the presentation of the dog. Tommy flew in. They flew the other veteran in from Newfoundland. I had a band. I had fireworks. I had an auction. And it just, car show, and it just became this big thing, and we're able to pay for a dog in a day. So I'm going to do it every year. So I'm and, and that's not easy, because a service dog costs, what, 30, 40 grand to do it right? Well, where we got it from, yeah, but that's, the dog comes from Bad and Canine. They're, they're your, you know, they're your, they're top, top trainers. They train military dogs. They're amazing people. Anybody wants to check them out? Bad and Canine. Uh, they do service dogs, and, uh, you know, you your search smell the scent dogs and that they're amazing amazing people an amazing family they've been doing this for i believe over 40 years well make sure and, that uh, uh, were, you you introduce me because i still haven't had uh, any professional dog trainers um for service dogs on the show so make sure you make that in i will uh, i will reach out to them mark all right all right brother thank you for being on the show 
Thank you so much, Mark. You have a great day. Please stay on the line. You are listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.